Well, good morning, church. Hope and pray you are all doing well in light of some kind of big event going on tonight. It's um, potluck or something or super something, right? All right, well, I think we know what's going on. If you don't know what's going on, welcome to America. There's this big thing that's going on, and it happens, actually, it's casted everywhere overseas, the Super Bowl. And um, here's what we're going to just have a little fun this morning, just a few stats, throw them out your way to see what you do or do not know about this current event that's taking place tonight called the Super Bowl. Uh, a few years ago, actually over the last five years, the average ticket price was around 6600 but tonight's going ticket, the average resale price is around 9900 So yeah, you can buy a used car or you can go watch a football game, your choice. All right, millions are going to be watching from all around the world. Max, they said uh, one. I'm sorry, 17.8 million Americans will be at a game. Will watch the game from a bar or a restaurant. Uh, 15.5 million will be streaming it. Everybody else on TV, and then of course you got the fans that are going to be in attendance, which they said could be somewhere around 78,000 there at the stadium. Now, throw in those that went to Phoenix just to be in the area, which was another 125,000 people coming from out of town into the Phoenix area. Some of them aren't even going to get into the game, right? They said locally it's going to give about a billion dollars boost to the economy of Phoenix. Uh, $500 is going to be the average amount of money spent on just food and drinks alone over the next few days by people that are visiting. 69,000 hotel rooms are what they have available. And if you want one, the cheapest right now is around $452. Good luck on finding a room, right? Um, what about what's going on with Super Bowl parties? 103 million people are planning Super Bowl parties. I don't know if people registered or what, how they figured that number out. Uh, but the average number of people at a Super Bowl party is around 14. What are they going to consume, you say? Well, about 8,000 calories at that one moment. Um, 1.45 billion chicken wings consumed. 10 million pounds of ribs are sold the week of Super Bowl. 11.2 million pounds of chips. And 139.4 million avocados will be sold. That's a lot of food going on out there. 40% increase in pizza deliveries and orders. 90% more beer is consumed on Super Bowl than any other day of the year. 90%. Uh, 1.24 billion is uh, sold on beer alone compared to 517 million on soft drinks, which leads us to our next stat as to why 16.1 million people won't go to work tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> Something connected there, probably, I don't know. Uh, but in those 16 million people not showing up, uh, it's projected that $6.5 billion will be lost in productivity tomorrow because nobody's showing up for work. Oh boy, yeah. Well, hey, for those of you who are thinking, but is it too late for me to get a commercial in? It is. But if you can get a commercial in the Super Bowl, I want to talk to you about how you can give to this church, okay? Because supposedly $7 million will buy you a 30-second ad. $7 million. And here's the deal. Only, you know, 20% of the people say, I only watch Super Bowl because I like the commercials. But only 48% of the people say, it, does, it has no effect on me anyway. I'm not going to buy their product, right? So I don't know if that's money well spent or not. Back when the first Super Bowl took place, back in, I believe, 1967, there was about 338 people showed up as journalists and reporters. Uh, this year, there'll be over 5,000 showing up to report it. This is the growth of this incredible event, right? Oh, and by the way, if you're playing and you win, you get a bonus, $150,000. If you lose, you get $75,000. There's no loser here. I'm going to stay right now, okay? 
you lose, you get $75,000. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, who's playing? That's a good question. Two birds. No, no, I'm sorry. Arizona is the hosting spot for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Are you all set now? Joe, if we don't get you on game here, we're in trouble, okay? All right, okay, here's the thing. It's not a holiday. It's an event, but it is treated bigger than any other holiday around, right? And, and so I was looking at this, and I thought, you know what? We're going to have a little fun with this, but here's what I want you to do with all that information. Now that you heard about all the money, all the food, all the fixings, you're going to plan out your own event right now in your mind. Just plan it out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pretend. Keyword is pretend. Good. We're going to pretend that I'm going to give you a million dollars right now. Pretend. Okay? So you have a million dollars. You can do whatever you want to do with that million dollars, but you have to spend every single penny on this event. You decide what kind of party you want. You can decide who's going to come and all that. So think about this. Food, entertainment, directions or decorations, uh, location. Okay? You thinking? Is the, are the wheels turning? What kind of event is it going to be? Concert? Is it going to be a party? Sporting event? Birthday party? How are you going to spend all that money? Where's it going to be held at? Out in the, in the city somewhere, on the country? You can maybe go buy a boat, have it on there, okay? I don't know where you're going to host this. What kind of entertainment are you going to have? You're going to have a comedian, you're going to have singers, you're going to have some special guests come in. Who's going to be a part of this event? What kind of decorations will you use? But, but here's the most important thing. Who are you going to invite to this? Now, if, if I could, I'd hand you all a three-by-five card right now or say get out a pen and paper or something, and I'd have you write down, we'll start slow, seven names, seven people. He's like, they must be there. These seven people must be there. And you're like, seven? I got 10 in my family. All right, seven, 70, however many you want. But who are those must-invite people to this event? Start thinking it through. Everybody got those people you want there? Who is it going to be? How are you going to invite them? How you get them there? Got that in there? Okay, now we'll come back to it. Put it towards the back. Grab your Bibles. Open up to Romans chapter 3. We will revisit that list of names in a second. Romans chapter 3. As you're turning there again, two, actually two events are going on. We got uh, an event tonight, a sporting event, and then we have uh, Valentine's in a couple of days. One is about the love of a game, and the other one, well, it's probably about the games people play when they're in love. I don't know. Um, something like that. But you got these two events going on, and you're going to see a lot of love expressed because people love football so much, they'll spend $10,000 plus to go see it. That's how much they love football. And then somebody says, well, I love my wife, or I love my, my spouse, I, I love my kids, I love... And we, we, we throw love out for everything. Pizza, popcorn, coffee, peanut butter pie, money. You know, I love this, I love this, I, you know. But how do you define love for these? Because aren't we told in the Bible to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength? Aren't we supposed to love one another? But I love sports, and I love Jesus. Well, which one do you love more? Do you love them the same way? I mean, if you're willing to spend thousands of dollars on a hobby, are you willing to spend thousands of dollars on Jesus? Well, I don't know if I love them that much. What is it, when it comes to this whole, I love God, how, does, how is that love expressed? 
Well, I love my team. I wear my jerseys. I painted my bathroom the same colors as my favorite team. It's like, okay, you obviously do love that. How is your love expressed for God? Maybe we should start with how God's love is expressed for us. Because then maybe we can reciprocate that with our love. Let's begin by looking at Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 9. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the same power of sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Now, if you look on the screen, can you notice how many times things are underlined there? No one, not one, every, all. How this is basically what it's saying is all of us, everyone has messed up. We, we, we've made mistakes. We're, we're all in that same club of sinners making mistakes. And, and what I love about the Apostle Paul, he says this later in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 15. He says, Christ came into this world to save all the sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Basically, the Apostle Paul says, hey, if, if being a sinner and we're all in that club, I'm the president. I'm the worst of them. And he's the one that's writing all this, right? And he's pointing out what, clearly what we already know. We all make mistakes. No one's perfect. And matter of fact, Scripture says, not only have we made mistakes and we're not perfect, we actually turn away from God. It's like we know better. We know who God is, and we, we purposely turn away from God. Maybe you've heard people say things like, well, I, I don't need that God stuff in my life right now. I'm not a very religious person. Well, I can't go to church because my life is, well, until I get things right, I really shouldn't go to church. Comments like that are usually made by people who are saying, I'm not seeking God right now. It isn't that I've messed up. It's just I'm not even, I'm not even aiming at him. Behaviorally, you know what we do then? We, we categorize people. We categorize ourselves, good, bad, make mistakes, do good things. It doesn't matter how we categorize people. We all mess up. Look what Paul does next. He, he not only makes the point that people mess up, but he describes their actions too. And I'm going to tell you right now, it, it's not a pretty sight what he says about us. He says, uh, their talk is foul. It's like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Now, I don't know if you ever smelled an open grave before. I'm talking about uh, like it's been open. It's been left open for a couple weeks, a month. I mean, it, the, the casket is open. It Never experienced that, okay? But I grew up on a farm where we had some dead animals and they didn't get buried right away and their carcasses rot and you walk out and you're like, Ooh, it's like jumping on a corkscrew roller coaster at hyperspeed. Something's going to come up, okay? It's just gross, right? And it's like, that's how Paul says, that's how gross our sins are. It's just nasty. It's, it's rotten, foul language, lies, cursing, bitterness. That's not us, right? No, not me. No, what comes out of my mouth is always good, is it? So when you're at the ball game and, and you're cheering on your kids and the other team does something and you're yelling at those other kids, nobody better yell at my kid, but it's okay if we yell at somebody else's kid, right? Because it's a ball game. 
or the referee. I can yell at him, or I can yell at the fans, or I can, I can yell at the guy that pulled out in front of me in the car, or I can, I can yell at the person at the station that, that I didn't like how they handled my situation. I can yell at whoever I want. Oh, but not me, because I'm a Christian. No bitterness comes out of my mouth. No cursing comes out of my mouth. No lies come out of my mouth, right? And what the Apostle Paul saying, mm, yeah, for some of us it's still coming out. And we say, well, I have good reason maybe to yell. It's like, it doesn't matter what our reason is. Paul's pointing out some of the sins in our life is just gross. It's just wrong. He goes on verse 15 uh, to say this. They rushed to commit murder. And I, you know, we're like, oh, am I in that category? I hope not, right? Destruction and misery always follows them. It's like, this is where they're heading, and, and this is what's chasing them. And they've even turned away from anything that's peaceful. We find that out in verse 12, but verse 17 says, they don't know where to find peace. What's worse, verse 18, they have no fear of God at all. See, when you decide not to fear God, you're in an independent state where you're going to find misery and consequence constantly. Pick almost any book of the Old Testament. Pick any one. You start to read, you'll find a story of somebody who's like, well, I don't fear God anymore. What, what happens when you don't fear God? You don't listen to God. What happens when you don't listen to God? You become disobedient. You become rebellious. You face judgment and consequences. It's a, it's a progressive pattern. It's a movement away from God. And this disobedience, Paul further describes it in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. The Apostle Paul says this, Thank God once you were slaves to sin, but now you're wholeheartedly obeying His teaching as we've given you. Paul says, not only do we sin, we're slaves to it. We're bound to it. This word for slave is doulos. Doulos basically describes somebody that's like, that's my master, and whatever my master says, I have to do. So in the scripture, it's like, it's like saying, you know, in the past, you were a wretched slave of sin. You were sold out entirely to sin. You had no say about it. doesn't matter what you think you can or cannot do. You were slaved to sin. Whatever that sin says, the master says, you're going to do it. Fulfilling every whim of whatever your master says. You get the picture here of what Paul's saying? It isn't like, well, I struggle with sin. Paul says, no, at one time, you were a slave to it. I try to say no. It's so hard to say no. Exactly, because we're like we're a slave to sin at times. So in the Old Testament, God gives this man by the name of Moses the Ten Commandments. Y'all remember that, right? The commandments were written down for Moses to pass on to the children of Israel, and they were supposed to be passed on to their children. Read it, teach it, recite it. It will help direct the actions of you and your heart. This is the way God's people should go. But what we discover is the Ten Commandments, these laws, also showed us how messed up we were. I mean, you think about it. The law shows us how far we have fallen from God's desires. God says, I don't want you to do this. Oh, I'm doing this. Look how far you're falling from this. I remember one time hiking and, uh, with a bunch of guys. We went up to the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. And we, we hiked in started in the late afternoon. So by the time we got to where we were going to set up camp, it was dark. And we're like, oh boy. So we, we couldn't see really, was this the right campsite or not? I don't know. We're in the middle of the woods. So we just set up our tents, threw down our gear, hung up our food bags so the bears wouldn't get them and said, we'll wake up in the morning and, and go from there. We woke up the next morning, pop open the tent. I get out and it's like, just trying to wake up. And there's this gentleman standing there in a ranger outfit, arms crossed, looking at us. And he's like, you guys know where your tent is? Now, I'm a rule follower, okay? So I'm, as a rule follower, I got my answer I'm going to give. Now, if I was not a rule follower and I was a little more, more sarcastic and dangerous and rebellious, I would have said, you know where your tent is? 
yeah, it just came out of it. It's right here. Can you not see it? Now, that would have been a wrong thing to say to somebody in authority, right? But because I'm a rule follower, I'm like, uh, did we do something wrong, sir? And he's like, points to this sign right above our tent. No tent camping allowed. I mean, of all the places in the woods, I don't know how many of those signs are up. We found the one sign in the dark somehow and put our tent up. We never saw it. It was dark, right? And I was thinking about it sort of like this. The law was sort of like that sign. It basically states what's acceptable and not acceptable. And once it was pointed out to us, now I discover I've made a mistake. That's what the law does. The law basically says, this is what God said is right and wrong. Oh, once it's pointed out to me, I realize I've been doing wrong. Now, again, I can blame the fact that it was dark, but here's the thing. Once light came and it was pointed out, I have no excuse. I messed up. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 19. We'll pick up again from there. It says this. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given. That's us. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. That's what the law does. It points out we've all messed up, right? For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So here's the deal. There's some bad news, okay? And I've been sharing it with you for the last five minutes. We all fall short of the doing good category, okay? We, we do. We, we can't measure up to this holy God because we sin. Bad things we do are disgusting to God. He looks at the things that we do, we say, and he points them out from afar and he says, that's gross. I'm holy. That's unholy. Can't have it in my sight, Right? And we think, well, if I just do the good things, then I'll be right with God. And God's like, it doesn't work that way. Do you ever realize that sometimes when we mess up, we get lost? We, we aren't really ready to ask for help yet until we hit rock bottom. I mean, until things get really bad, it's like, yeah, I'm making some bad choices in my life, but I'll wait till I get older. Well, I'll wait till this moment. And then I'll, maybe I'll turn things around. And then all of a sudden it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's the same way when you're driving and you're lost. Well, I, let me just drive a couple more miles and I'll figure this out. Let me drive a few more miles. And then what happens? You're just further lost is what you are. And we hit that rock bottom place and we, we cry out to God. So God's like, hey, I tell you what, you're lost right now. Every one of you, all of us. Again, if I was, if I was the Apostle Paul speaking to, to the church today or then, I, I'm right there with him the worst of them all. But God says, I've got some good news for you. Look at verse 21 and 22. It says this, verse 21 and 22. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Phew, good. Without keeping the requirements of the law. Wait a minute, sounds too good to be true. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Here it comes, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Did you see this? Who, who can be made right with God? And, and, and how? All of us. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. To be made right with God requires not me to do good, but for Jesus Christ to do what he did. And then we trust Jesus for what he did. The good news is that Jesus 
provides a way for all of us who are lost, for those of us that hit rock bottom, for those that are going the wrong direction, for all of us that have been a master, or I'm sorry, a slave to the master of sin, God says, I'm providing a way of freedom. And this is for everyone, every race, every background, everyone. This is one of those all skate, all skate, right? It's like just let's all come in here. And if you don't know what that is, you haven't lived in the 80s to roller skate, okay? So here's the deal. Everybody, this is included for everybody. Anybody wants to commit? Everybody. Look at it again, verse 22. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for who? Let me hear you say it. Everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So but before we can say, hey, thanks, but no thanks, what does Paul do? Look at verse 23. He says, oh, but I don't need it. No, 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 no. Everyone has sinned. We, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So if you think you don't need it, you're wrong. We, we've all messed up. So quick summary, okay? We're all in the state of being lost. At some point in time, we all are in a state of lost. All of us. And the law of God helps us distinguish between this is good, this is evil. So clearly, thanks to God's law, I end up in this category of I've messed up. I've made mistakes but I can be in the right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation, church, listen, salvation is about God's undeserved kindness. We do not deserve his love. That's what grace is. Grace is getting something you do not deserve. That's love. Oh, you talk about a love for sport, a love for your spouse, a love for candy, a love for whatever, a love for God. God says, I love you. You don't deserve something and I'm giving it to you. That's love. Accomplished through the act of Jesus Christ on the cross. He frees us from what we deserve. We deserve death. He gives us life. Somebody's got to pay the penalty for sin. Who's going to pay for it? And God steps forward. And through his son, Jesus Christ, he rescues us. He pays that penalty. Look at verse 24. Let's read on Romans chapter 3. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are Righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Here it comes. People are made right with God when they, when they what? Believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. For he was looking ahead including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. See, holiness demands that sin be punished. God's like, I'm a holy God. I can't have sin in front of me. Sin has to be punished. But here's the thing. Love also compels to save the sinner. I want to show my holiness, but I also have this love. How can God do both? The only way I can give you, maybe, I don't know, there's a lot of good illustrations out there. I'll use this one. Um, Let's say somebody stands, I stand before the judge uh, because I rolled through a stop sign. I didn't completely stop. It's my 10th time. I've got a lot of tickets that piled up. I'm going to court. So now I'm standing in courtroom before the judge, and he's looking at all my tickets, and he looks it over and he says, guilty. You need to pay the fine. You need to pay the penalty. Here's what's going to happen. You owe the the court $300. 
and your license, according to this piece of paper I have right here. Let me find it. Ah, here it is. Your license is going to be revoked. <laughs> Come on, sir. I need to drive. I drive every day. I, I have to have my vehicle. I can't have my license revoked. This is a penalty, and it needs to be paid. And my bank account right now is like a zero, so $300 is like, you have to pay the penalty. I can't pay the penalty. Exactly. The judge pulls out a pen, pulls out his checkbook. I just wrote a check for $300 and I signed my name to it. You can't afford it. You can't pay it. I will pay it. And this paper here that has a list of everything on it that you've done and your license has been revoked, you're free. You're free to go. That's what God did for us. We can't pay the penalty. We can't pay the fine. He can. He did. But the blood of Jesus Christ was shed. God's demands for justice and sin was satisfied. He did what we cannot do. With Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his death and resurrection, he defeated sin and death once and for all. Salvation was accomplished by Jesus Christ. Nothing we've done. You know, when our boys were younger, and some of you as parents understand this, when your children are young, they pray the cutest prayers, right? You're like, oh, I love listening to my kids pray. And then when they become, you know, teenagers and whatever, and you're like, hey, you guys want to pray? No, I'm good. That's not with everybody. Some of them still pray. But it's like, keep, keep praying like that all the way through life, please. Okay, kids? Keep praying all the way through life. But I remember we'd be at the dinner table sometimes. I didn't even have to pray for dinner because sometimes the boys would pray and they would sometimes take turns. And then when they were really little, um, I remember, uh, I can't remember how Clay, old Clay was, but there was one night that, that Clay prayed for dinner. And it's one of those prayers where you're like, it's, oh, that's cute. That's cute, you know. Okay, that's cute. Okay. Okay, I'm getting hungry. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap. Amen. Good job. Good job. You know, it was one of those kind of prayers. Well, the next night he wanted to pray again. I was thinking, okay, here we go. So he's going to pray, but he starts praying. I had to write this down because remember he said this. He said, God, protect the world. He goes, save the world. And, and if you need help, just call me. I'll put on my Superman costume and I will fly there. And I'm sitting there going, that's awesome. That was a great prayer, right? But what was he thinking? He was thinking, you know, in his mind, he's like, he's like, God, do you need help saving this world? Because it looks pretty messed up right now. And I just want to help. I just, I, I want to help you save the world. But here's the thing. We can't. Only God can save the world. And you know what he asks us to do? He invites us to be a part of the process by inviting others to God so that they can place their faith in Jesus Christ. We, we can't save anybody, but we can definitely get them in the right direction to meet the one who can. And here's the thing, you know, we think, well, how about if I earn, you know, like Clay wants to save, but he could. But maybe we can earn our salvation. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm going to be good enough someday. I will earn it. It's like, that doesn't work that way. Scripture says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, what? For by grace are you saved, not works. Otherwise, we boast about it, right? Some people believe that salvation is found through our a heritage or denomination or, hey, my grandparents were that way, so I'm in, right? I got baptized when I was little. I'm in, right? Scripture doesn't teach that. John 3.16 makes it very clear for God 
the one who is the author of salvation, so loved with a passionate, agape love, a self-sacrificial love, that he loved the world, everyone, all included, that he gave. Nothing we had to do, he gave. One and only son, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes on him, who places their faith in him, will not perish but have eternal life. Salvation is what God's done for us. Why share this message? This is like one of those messages that like Billy Graham, he preached one message, right? And it's like, he keeps preaching the same thing. Rex, we've probably heard you talk about salvation a hundred times. We'll make it 101 today, church, okay? Because this matters to me. I want you to know how horrible we were in a state, a position separated from God. And yet he loves us. Loves us so much he would do anything to save us. And he does save us. Now it's our choice to be rescued, Right? That's the God who loves us. So when you talk about, well, I love God, how much do you? If you understand what he did for you, I believe your love will grow for him. When you realize how much God loves you and how much he wants to save you, I believe that changes everything. And then I look at the Super Bowl being, a, it's a great event, right? It's a one-time event, though. Years from now, most of us will not even remember who played, who is the MVP. We won't remember any statistics from tonight's game. It won't be. I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest party, the biggest event is yet to come, and it's when Jesus Christ returns. And if you didn't get a ticket for tonight, no big deal, but I hope you have your ticket ready for when Jesus returns. You better have Christ in your life. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted God's gift of salvation, you and I, we get to spend God, our, our eternal presence in the presence of God. And that is something to look forward to. That's bigger than all Super Bowls put together, bigger than any holiday put together. This event will be the biggest thing, and you can't even plan it, but it's already been planned for you. The question is, are you in? I want you to think back to those names I told you to have for your party. All those people I said, who do you want to invite? Now let me ask you this. Would you invite them to eternity with you? If you haven't, why not? Oh, I'll invite somebody to go eat wings with me and watch a football game. But what really matters? Eternity, right? Have you invited them to that? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to invite them. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, I heard, I heard this story about a young lady, a uh, little girl that was playing t-ball. Y'all know t-ball, right? It's, the, it's that one recreation sport that everybody loves in the summer. Anybody can play. Nobody's been singled out yet. Nobody's been recruited. Nobody's been said, you are an all-star. It doesn't matter who can play. Just come play t-ball. And the little kids show up, and all the parents are just glad. You know, somebody's going to have snacks. That's the best part of the night, right? And you have this little tee at home plate, and you got the kids swinging the baseball bat, trying to hit the ball to the tee, and they run, and, and kids are scattered everywhere. Well, this little girl, Tammy, she wasn't a great baseball player. I mean, she had these thick Coke bottle glasses, hearing aids, and, and you just look at her, it's like, yeah, she's probably not going to be very athletic. She didn't care. She just wanted to go have fun. So little Tammy, she'd get up to bat. They'd put the ball on the tee, and she'd swing and miss, swing, 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 miss. And maybe after the 16th or 17th time, she'd hit the ball and it'd fall off. And everyone's like, run, run, you know, because they're not going to put it back up and wait for her to hit it even further, right? She nicked it, it fell, you know, and... She'd like run to first base, you know, obviously one of the 20 kids in the, in the infield, because that's what happens. They all creep up into the infield and somebody grabs the ball and they run and they touch her or they throw it to first base and she's out. Well, one night, something crazy happened. She got up, ball on a tee, 
And she swung and she creamed the ball. And it just went whistling through the infield, out into the outfield. There's nobody in the outfield, right? Because all those kids have creeped forward, right? So she's like, oh, what do I do? You know, she's just running in the first base coach, like, run, Tammy, run. And so she's running to first base and she gets to first base and he's like, keep going, keep going. And by then, about seven, eight kids have ran out to the outfield and they're on the ball and they're like passing the ball between each other, trying to figure out what to do with it. And then somebody throws it to first base, went over into the dugout. So she's going from second to third. Now she gets to third. And as she gets to third base, She's like running, and now she's like, she's never been that far, right? So the coach is like, go home, go home. And there's a coach at home on his knees like, come on, Tammy, come on, Tammy. And then she's like, all over the crowd's into it now. They're like, yeah, Tammy's going to get a home run. And, and then, you know, and you got like, what, 30 other kids in the infield still chasing that ball, right? But as she's running, as she's chasing after it, all of a sudden she stops. What nobody noticed in all the excitement was this big dog in the front row of the bleachers. That dog woke up with all the excitement, sort of sat up and just sat there, tail wagging. And it was like it had this big smile on its face, like, fun. This is so fun. There's, everybody's excited, you know, and the, and the dog has this big look on its face, like it's happy and it's wagging its tail. And there's Tammy and she stops and she sees the dog. And she looks at home plate. She looks at the dog. And everybody's going, come on, Tammy, go home, go home, go home, run, run. And she's like... And then she looks at the dog. And it's like in slow motion, she takes off to the dog. And she hugs that dog. And everybody's like, got quiet for a second. And then it was like, okay, good job, Tammy, right? A little complimentary clap. All right, that was cute. Good job. But in that moment, you think about this. It's like these, these two uh, roads diverge at third baseline, right? Go where everybody's telling me I should go. Or go over here to this dog that loves me. The dog doesn't care if I can hit a ball or not. The dog doesn't care if I get out. The dog doesn't care if I make mistakes or how I look. Dog just loves me. Everybody wants me to do that. But isn't that the way it is in life? In our life, it's like these two roads diverge. It's like we chase after what the world says, the pleasure, the power, everything that's out there. This is what you're supposed to do in life. This is where you should go. Or we've got God over here who says, I love you just the way you are. I love you with all your mistakes so much that I sent my son to die for you. You want to come here? I'll hug you all day. You can go that way if you want. The question is, where are we going? Who are you chasing after? Where are you running towards? Have you placed your faith in God? I don't want to take for granted and sort of sit there and say, well, it's church. Everybody here is a Christian. I don't want to have that assumption. You might be in here today and you've heard about God your whole life, but you've never made the connection between what needs to happen in here and what you know up here. And maybe there's some kind of connection that needs to be made. And maybe today it made a little bit more sense. But there's a God who loves you. Yeah, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. But God has forgiven those through the act of his son, Jesus Christ. When you place your faith on him, he forgives you of those things. Have you done that? If you have, who do you need to share that with? Family? Friends? Who do you need to share this truth with? I mean, if it really matters, if it's the most important relationship in your life, Shouldn't everybody know? Especially your friends. Would you stand, please? As we sing this song, we're going to sing I Surrender All again.
uh, in, in this song, this is, you know, when I, when I heard it being sung this morning, I thought, this was a song we sang at the end of every service when I grew up, giving people the opportunity to, to come forward. And it wasn't just people like, I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time. It was people in our church who had been struggling with certain things, like, I need to surrender that to God. And a lot of times we hold on to things and we're like, well, I can just surrender it right where I'm standing. Yes, you can, absolutely. You, you don't have to come up here to, to, to pray. You don't have to come up here to surrender anything. But sometimes an act of surrender notifies the enemy what you are doing. When I raise my hands up, if I was fighting a war and I raise my hands up, I surrender. The enemy knows, you know what? We got them. They've surrendered. We win. When you raise your hands to God and say, I surrender, guess what? The enemy loses. God is victorious. When we're surrendering sometimes to God, it's like I'm surrendering from the slave being my master to God becoming my master. So during this song, if you have something you need to pray to God and you want to come forward up here or you want to stay where you are, you choose. But I want to encourage you in your prayer, surrender. Whatever's going on, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this moment we have as a church where we can gather, we can come and worship you. But God, one of the most important decisions we will ever make in our life is to choose to love you. But I want to love you more than a football game. I want to love you more than food. I want to love you more than I love people. And sometimes I don't know how to do that. So God, thank you for showing me first how much you love me. That you would send your son to die for me. That you will forgive me of all the stupid things that I've ever done and the rebellious acts I've ever made. You will forgive me for those things. And I don't understand that. Because that's your love. A holy God who loves me. Thank you, God. God, I pray now as a church, if we need to surrender something to you, hear our prayers, hear our surrendering. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the, the bad choices we made. Forgive us even as it may be in our faith, we have not lived out our faith as we should. We've been embarrassed and we've not been living a bold, courageous life. God, speak into our hearts as we sing this song. In thy name we pray, amen.